huge news, years in the making, my brand new book that my publishers refuse to publish, Money Matrix. Beat the money system and build generational wealth. Understand the three main ways that the banks productize you and make money from you. You'll be able to turn that system against itself, build generational wealth and multiple streams of recurring income. It's all at moneymatrix.cash. And if you're quick, the first few hundred registrants and buyers will receive many special bonuses from me. The brand new Moneymaker Summit three-day special event. Meet me at a champagne reception. Meet me at a multi-millionaire networking dinner. Go now, moneymatrix.cash. This is huge. This podcast is blowing up. You're about to hear me on a fairly new podcast, like not a thousand episodes like mine, which is going viral right now. Most of what you're about to hear is my disruptive alternative views on money, finance and business. But I want you to imagine this. Imagine Andrew Tate was about to be interviewed and he was ill and couldn't make the interview and I stepped in in his place. That's exactly what this is like. So warning, some of you are going to get triggered. Hate long intros. Let's get straight in. Rob, so I'm trying new exercises to, you know, get the energy flowing on the podcast. So the way to do that with you, I'm going to ask you, what are some conspiracy theories that you really, truly believe Right. Mm. Is that now? Yeah, we're that's in. now. We're in. Straight in. Straight in. Some conspiracy theories I believe to be true, um, that the world is run by a small number of very powerful companies. Mm-hmm. Would you be able to name drop them companies? <laughs> There's about 13 families, I think, that run the world. Yep. The name that comes to mind that most people would recognise would be the Rothschilds. Yep. I was going to say the exact same one. Yeah, now... I don't think it's actually abnormal. Like, think about it. A company with 10,000 employees is owned by one person. Mm. Steve Jobs ran Apple. So might it make sense that powerful families through time run and control the world, just like they would run and control a company? Yeah, that's not abnormal. But of course, they have godlike power because they're responsible for essentially decisions that can create policy and legislation for millions of people. Um, I think that's the natural law of how the world works. Like you have a king and then you have a million peasants. So that would be one. Yeah, the banks, I think. Just just to touch on that one there, yeah. Do you believe that these families and these people, like 13 families of higher power, do you believe they have the ability to shift society and the way we move and the way we you know, essentially like control minds. You know, they are the owners of the matrix, if you will. Mm. So... I mean, you've interviewed Tate alongside me, right? Yeah. So you could dive deep in the whole matrix system and all that sort of stuff that stems from these families. Yeah, well, I think these families do shape society. Let me flick it back and ask you a question. Go on. If you were so powerful, you could make the laws and you could print and control money, would you or wouldn't you? 100%. If you could have a money printer on this CEO desk here and print your own money, yep. would you um, say, nah, I don't want that because it's immoral? Or would you take the money printer? Take the money. Of course you would. Yeah, going to so, do everything I can in my favor. There you go. If you can control policy and money and you have the power to do that, why wouldn't you do that? Andrew Tate said that to me. He said, look, I get my paradox because if I had all of their control, I would take it and use it. So I think most people who judge that they would accept that. Like, if you are born into the royal family, 
that is just your bloodline destiny. Some people are born into these families and it is their bloodline destiny. Yeah. So I don't know that they're doing anything that any other human wouldn't. So it's easy to say they're immoral, they're corrupt. The next thing is, if there's 13 families, I'm told there are others who you would never know. Um, we still, as the people, because there's 7 billion people mm-hmm. and there's 13 families, we still have the power to have the power. Because if 7 billion people get together and say, I don't like the way the banking system runs, I want it to be decentralised. I don't like the power that the 13 families have. I want it to be decentralised. We have the ability to do that, but people don't stand up. Like when lockdown happened, everyone went, oh, okay, I'll do what I'm told. Instead of actually saying, no, no, we need to get together. And so you, like whenever anyone gets cancelled, I always support them, whether it was Andrew Tate or Russell Brand or Katie Hopkins. And it's not that I'm supporting them. It's that I'm supporting every individual's right for freedom of speech. But if I don't stand up and support them, then I will be next. Mm. So we actually have more power than we think, but we have to get together and be clear and a whole bigger and more powerful people accountable. But okay, look, I'm going to talk about the 13 families as well. So as we mentioned there, they can control society. But do you think they also... Because I heard uh, actually a really good point, right? And I don't... I'm trying to think of ways to say this without getting cancelled. Controlling and creating agendas, right? Um, one of the most recent conspiracies that I heard was that, you know, equality is so that women can also be taxed the same rate as men get taxed, creating more money for them. Correct? Or, I don't know, if that's what I'm saying. I don't know what to say with these, with these beliefs and... We might get shut down. Someone from Rothschilds might watch this right now and be like, yep, cancel this podcast. I'm very proud to say this episode is sponsored by AG1. As you know, we're more than 1,000 episodes into Disruptors and I very rarely have sponsors. I'm really choosy on sponsors and I only pick people that I love myself and I use myself. I have turned down loads of sponsors, but personally I've been using AG1 for nearly 14 years myself before we ever did a sponsorship deal with them. For me, AG1 really helps with my mental focus, clarity and overall well-being. As someone who's really freaking busy and can't always sit down and eat a million vegetables in a day, knocking back a big pintful of AG1 in the morning is perfect for me. Of course, health is wealth and I'm in my mid-40s, I'm realising that more and more. So if you'd like to try AG1 yourself with a special exclusive offer that I have for you right now, go to drinkag1.com forward slash disruptors. That's drinkag1.com forward slash disruptors and get a free year supply of vitamin d3 k2 and five travel packs with your first purchase on me so one more time that's drink ag1.com forward slash disruptors ag1 thanks for sponsoring the show you are legends yeah i think that a lot of things that are in society are to benefit the system now I don't know that there is a matrix. That is things that people like Andrew Tate say. I don't know that it's that systematic. But think about this. The source of the money for the powerful families and the government and the banks is society. We are the source of their income. Now, if you run a business, your source of income is your customers. Yep. So you're going to sell them products and services and you're going to upsell, cross-sell, try and bulk sell 
and, and your morals aren't going to be judged for that, but that's normal. But yeah. we, the people, are the source of the income for the banks, the governments, etc. So things like recently, the government are looking to tax people doing side hustles and renting out their room on Airbnb. Yeah, I saw this, and it's up to a thousand pounds a year. If you make more than a thousand pounds a year, yeah. they're going to share the information yeah. with HMRC. And, that, and sell, you know, you sell your old jackets on eBay or whatever, yeah. because we are the source of income. So marriage, marriage is a, a contract with the government. It's a source of income. So thinking about it logically, we are a product. Mm-hmm. Because I'm an entrepreneur and that's how I've always been. So I, I see everything commercially and in business. And I think if there's one thing I'd say to anyone who feels like we are stuck in a system where it's really not fair, um, have a more commercial view. Because when you have a more commercial view, you can understand. Because on the other side of this, as an entrepreneur, you get the best tax breaks. And yeah, the government are going to try and tax me, but they're also going to have to incentivize me because they need me to employ people and they need me to generate revenue because I am their product. Yeah, they need businesses. So if they screw us too much, which I have to say in the UK, if they're watching, stop screwing us because you're screwing us too much. Um, but if they screw us too much, we'll all move to Lisbon and we'll all move to Dubai. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then then they'll be like, oh shit, we lost all the entrepreneurs. Well, we've been seeing that a lot happen recently. A lot of entrepreneurs. That That's I why I said those places people yeah. are leaving yeah and um the, the thing with entrepreneurs is people people who sit in their pants watching netflix who judge entrepreneurs should take a leaf out of their book because the thing entrepreneurs do is they do like we take action so if the government screw me too much for tax i'm going to move mm-hmm. or i'm going to figure out some loopholes and i'm gonna hire a good accountant and you know a good tax advisor yeah, yeah, yeah. so um 20 years ago, there were a lot of good tax breaks. And, and so we were more entrepreneurial and a hub. And as they run out of money, because they spend it all on lockdowns and COVID and everything else, um, they have, we are their only source of income. So they have to keep reducing our tax breaks and increasing taxes to us. So in the end, we'll all piss off to Dubai and Lisbon and Texas and wherever else. And then in the end, they'll have to go, shit, we need to bring a load of people over. Yeah, let's, in let's Dubai, benefits. Yeah, Dubai yeah. is one big marketing campaign for people, for yeah, entrepreneurs. For, yeah, for to go to, yeah. To go. Yeah. And very low tax, very high benefits. Yeah, and, and they love entrepreneurs. Yeah. They love entrepreneurs. So in five or 10 or 15 years, the UK will figure this out because they've screwed us so much and they'll have to start doing the opposite which is tax breaks and incentives and it just go around, goes around in cycles. So everyone should just remember, we are the product. So for example, on social media, if you are not selling a product, you are the product. So start selling a product. If you are consuming, you are the product. If you are creating, you are the entrepreneur. Fair, fair. We're going to touch on your story in a second and all that sort of stuff, right? But I, I do... I like conspiracies and I, uh, conspiracies, and I like where where this conversation is heading, right? So you mentioned just to point out there that you're not sure if there is a matrix, right? Now, well, it, just quickly, go on. if you ran the matrix, would you tell everyone you, you're running a matrix? Hundred percent not. No, 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 no of course not. So no, no one can be really sure. But looking at it from the outside perspective, right? You know, as we mentioned there, you know, when lockdown came, first thing everyone did was, oh my god, I'm gonna listen to what the government are saying and what the media is saying because there is a virus going around. I'm going to die. I need to stay indoors. Yeah. And I know every single entrepreneur or someone of an entrepreneur mindset was like, this is a whole load of bullshit. Yeah. Uh, where, how much are they keeping this podcast? I don't know. But they go, this is absolute crap. Right. 
So it, it kind of shows that there are so many people, as you mentioned, 7 billion people in the world and 13 families that this, I'd say 80% of them are almost, you know, tied down into that matrix system. Even growing up looking at it, right? Everyone who's in nine to five jobs and all this and all of that, paying their taxes, getting by, as um, me and Simon Skip talked about this as well, you know, you go through this loophole of, you know, you buy a house, you die in the house, give the house to your kids. Now they've got to pay inheritance tax and all that sort of stuff. You're just going around in a circle. You are the product. Is, you are the product. Yeah. But then you're going around in a circle. So it's like the matrix, I believe, does exist purely because of that. Because we are the product. Mm. So you have a choice. You either are the product or you create the product. Mm. So I'm friends with Simon Scribb. So I'm friends with Simon Squibb, but I completely disagree with him on the house concept. Okay. But I know that his father really struggled. And so his evidence was that house was a financial noose Mm -hmm. and actually contributed to his father's death, which obviously is very sad. I own 340 rental units and I make millions out of housing because instead of being the product, a tenant, I created the product, became a landlord. So yeah, most people in the matrix, if you want to use that word, if it even exists, is the product. If you become an entrepreneur, you learn to not be the product, but create and sell the product. And that's what it is. It's as simple as that. So, you know, when these lockdowns and um, people who get cancelled, etc., when all these things happen, if there is some matrix controlling us, most people accept it because most people are followers because they're happy being the product. Um, and if anyone wants to change their life, they have to make sure that they're not co- a consumable and, and they're not the product. Mm. And it's easier than ever now. It, it, like there are still quite a few tax breaks to being an entrepreneur. You're in property, your family's in property. Um, you can still make a lot of money as a landlord. Anyone can have a studio like, like you've got and set up and monetize content. Yeah, 100%. So it's just a choice. But this information wasn't available to us. You couldn't go down to the library 30 years ago and learn about the Matrix. (laughs) (laughs) And and you couldn't listen to the CEO cast or my Disruptors show and get so much information. And now you can. Yeah. So now there's no excuse. The only way you could do it back in those days is if you're in those positions and if you're in those rooms, like you have to full on You have to have been born into it. Yeah, born born into it. Or or locationally lucky. Exactly like that. But if you're in the normal society, you're not really getting access to it. Whereas nowadays, with the power of the internet, anyone can break out and be the product. Yeah. Which is interesting. Mm. You were going to mention something about a second conspiracy, which was something to do with banking. Yeah. So, um, the banks are a for-profit corporation. Mm -hmm. That makes complete sense to me. But most of society delusionally believe that the banks are there to look after them. Like if you watch adverts that the banks do, oh, come in, we care, we love you, we're a family. You know, we will look after your future. Lloyd's Black Widow riding this horse. They do the most. Scottish Widow. And it's just like, (laughs) that's all bullshit. The banks are a for-profit corporation. Their job is to make money out of your money. And And how do they do so? Well, you are complicit because you are the product. Mm. If you put your money in a bank, you've just given it to them to make money out of. Yeah. So I keep minimum amounts of money in the bank. I have to have 
puts a few million in the bank for liquidity for my company and my own personal liquidity. But everything else I'm going to put in assets that I own and control. Because if I have my money in gold or real estate or I start a business, I'm earning on my money. If I have my money in the banks, they're earning on my money. They lend and invest it out. They're legally allowed to. If I put um, £100 in the bank, they only have to keep 10 of it in and they can leverage the factor of 10 and they can lend and invest 90 of it out. Now, people say, oh, but my money is safe in the banks. Have you never seen a bank run? Have you never seen a bank go bust? Um, Oh, my money is insured up to £85,000. Has that ever been tested? Mm. Do, do you do you really you want to test that? that? Yeah, and um, you know if you haven't, yeah, you know the the banks. You see, the banks have one rule for them and one rule for everyone else. For example, if you take a thousand pounds as you sell a product for a thousand pounds, but you have to deliver that over a year, mm-hmm. so essentially you've taken eighty five pounds a month. Yep, but you go and spend some of that thousand pounds. You become insolvent. You're spending money that the client has has given to you. Um, And that's called trading insolvently when you're trading with money that's not yours. That's that's illegal. You can either be struck off as a director or you can go to prison for that. Yep. That is how the financial system is set up. And our government is an insolvent entity. It it is in 31... It's in three... in, In America, I think it's 300 trillion. It's, I think, it's trillions. We're trillions in debt, maybe 31 trillion. You have to check your numbers on that. Um, so the, everyone knows that they're in massive debt, yet they continue to trade insolvently. So, but that's because they make up the rules. And I would make up the rules if I ran the government and I ran the country and I ran banks. But I, I'm not sure it's, a, it's so much a conspiracy theory. It's just a marketing and propaganda exercise. Like if you're an entrepreneur, are you going to tell everyone the on the, the, the whole story about everything in your business? Are you going to try and market it? Yeah, market it in the best way possible. In, in the best way possible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because yeah. like, at the end of the day, you like, want them to buy the product. Yeah, if you're McLaren, yeah. you're not going to say, honestly, our cars break down a lot. <laughs> and if you just scrape the alloy, that's going to cost yeah, you 10 yeah. grand. Exactly, yeah. You're not going to say no, that. No, no, no. You're going to say, we've got the fastest, <laughs> yeah. lightest road cars, yeah. track cars There going. you go. But we're not going to tell you about all the engine problems no. that it has. We're not going to tell you no. about the time. And how of- often it needs a service and how long the car's going to be in for yeah, a service. Yeah, yeah. You have to find that shit out for yourself. Yeah. So the banks, the governments, the corporations, they're just a great big propaganda marketing exercise, but they're not really doing anything different to anything that anyone else would do. And the, the reason that that's important is because when you go down the conspiracy rabbit hole, number one, it, it angers you. And you sh- anger is good if you turn it into action, but most people don't. They just moan. And number two, you think it's really fucking unfair and you get on your high horse and then you become a victim. Whereas it's just nature. Mm-hmm. And, and really, they're just running businesses. Okay, I'm going to play the counter devil here, yeah? Counter argument. Yeah. And say that, yes, banks can invest my money. They can use my money and leverage it to make more money for themselves, right? Yeah. But say I've got, let's just say I've got 100 grand in their account. And they're using 90 grand of it to make themselves more money. Now, I'm just trying to make this point for people who are new into money and new into entrepreneurship so they understand. They'll look at their bank account and be like, well, I've still got 100 grand in there and I can still pull out 100 grand. So whatever money they make for themselves, fine, let it be. So the real question is, how does it actually affect an individual? 
Okay. So if you've got a hundred grand in the bank, you haven't got a hundred grand in the bank because inflation is wiping that down. And inflation, I believe, is much higher than the government will let on. Mm-hmm. Because if they told you the truth of how high inflation was and everyone knew about inflation and how it worked, essentially they would go, oh, I put 100 grand in the bank and in a year that's going to be worth 85. I better not leave it in the bank. And the, yeah, they want money in the bank. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's not going to serve them to say that. The system's going to go broke. Exactly. Yeah. So they have to make you believe that it's safe to put money in the bank and it's good for you and it's good for your future and you're going to earn on the money. But even with interest rates going up, Interest is lower than inflation. Mm -hmm. So when interest is lower than inflation, you lose money in the bank. So the only reason you can't see that you're losing money in the bank is because the hundred grand figure stays the same. But in reality, it's 90 or 85 next year in in real terms. And people need to know that. So if you want to become rich, the first rule is you have to beat inflation. And you lose inflation in the banks Whereas you beat inflation in real estate, you beat inflation in gold, you beat inflation as an entrepreneur. The next thing is you think it's safe because you've never seen a bank run or you've never seen a bank go bust. Or if the bank did go bust, it got bailed out. But Mm -hmm. just because you've never seen it doesn't mean it's never going to happen. Because if you... The best indicator of the future is the past. And we look in our lives... And think that life is like this. For example, up until maybe two years ago, for 12 years, interest rates were less than a percent. So if if you're 18 to 30 years old, you think, oh, interest rates, 0.5%. That is normal. Mm -hmm. That is not normal. Normal is 6%. And you go back to late 80s, it was 15%. So if you go back through history... It's a good indicator of the future. And in history, you have revolutions, wars, you have empires that build and empires that fall. Some empires last a thousand years, some empires don't even last a hundred years. Yep. So study history, work out, okay, banks go bust, people lose all their money. It's happening in America right now. Um, but real estate always goes up, property, gold always goes up. These are proven to be inflation. Arguably, banks own property. Yeah. So think about that. If banks own property, why wouldn't you? Because banks are some of the richest corporations in the world. How have banks got rich? Be it, you're, you're the product. And then when they make money on your money, where do they invest it? Into property. Yeah. But what they do is you are the product when they own property because they loan it to you. Mm-hmm. Here's the interesting like, if people really got this, the penny would drop and they'd be able to become rich. And this is what I teach people. But Lloyds want to be the biggest private landlord in the UK. So Lloyds will lend money to you mm-hmm. and then they'll own the property that you rent from them. Yeah, yeah. So they've got you. Essentially what mortgages, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So they've, they've got you two ways. Yeah. Um, and then if I don't pay the rent, the they'll repo you. Exactly. So the And then they'll end hands. up going and bu- yeah. buying those repos. And then back to Simon Skibb's point of if I die in that property, my kids now inherit that property. Which yeah, but charged. there's tax breaks around getting okay, around fair. inheritance yeah. tax. Yeah. Remember that Simon Squibb is um, filtered and biased by a painful traumatic experience yeah. that happened in his life. Do you know he owns his house outright? 
Yeah, the so, entrepreneur house. Yeah, yeah, so he owns it. But so my, he owns the house. <laughs> my point being is that banks are somehow always connected in that loop of you buying your house. Because you're the product. Yeah. You're their product. So the thing is, I can be their product and still make money. So um, I have tens of millions of pounds worth of mortgages. I don't know how much. Tens of millions of pounds. But I figured out 17 years ago, okay, so the banks want to use me because they want me to live in a house and they've sold me a story of how owning a house is the dream. And what they're going to do is get me in debt for the rest of their lives. And they're going to earn, if I've got a hundred grand mortgage, they're going to, they might earn 250 grand on, on that hundred grand. Okay, why don't I play them at their own game? So I own 340 rental units and they've all got mortgages on them. So I'm playing the banks at their own game. Because um, if I've got my money in the bank and there's a problem, I've got the problem because I've got to go to the bank and get the money. Mm -hmm. If the banks have lent me money for 340 properties and there's a problem, the banks have got the problem because they've got to come and get me for the money. So I I just learned how the banks play the normal person and just completely switched it on its head and and, and now I play them. You're basically playing the game of poker with the- I'm playing the the bank's game. I'm playing the banks at their own game. So I've actually just finished a book called Money Matrix. And essentially is how to play the banks at their own game and win. So you become the bank. Yeah, you become the banker in Monopoly. Do you think you can only do this with property though? I think you can do it with your own business. Now, with your own business, it depends on your legal jurisdiction and the tax breaks and the laws. Mm -hmm. So in maybe Lisbon or um, Dubai, probably good tax breaks, low tax. Um, So now people are a bit more free. They can go anywhere they want. So you can kind of figure that out. But yeah, I mean, you know, I, in for many years, my tax bill has been lower than someone who's on almost a minimum wage, you know, a little bit more. And I've obviously earned a lot more than that. Um, And I pay a lot of taxes, um, but I I pay them, I pay them in the form of VAT. I pay them in the form of business rates, but corporation and income tax, there are ways that the government have allowed us and incentivized us to reduce those taxes. Um, so you basically have to, what you have to do, I believe, if you want to be rich and successful is stop judging the system. Understand that if you were in one of those 13 families, you would do the same because when you don't judge, you can learn. Like if I judge you, I'm not going to learn from you. No, no. Look you, at this guy. I think you're big fucking blind podcast. You. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but if I'm like, you know, you've done really your well. Your podcast bigger than yeah, mine. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But, but, you know, when I, when we met, I said to you, you know, you've done really well. Yeah. Obviously, I've been doing it a, a long time. We talked, we openly shared things together. Yeah, so yeah. when we don't judge and we learn, yeah. then we can f- figure shit out. Mm. So, but, but, you know, I don't judge the system. It is the system. It's just serving itself. And, and I would serve myself if I was a system, because as an entrepreneur, I also serve myself. But as an entrepreneur, here's the thing. If I am selfish and I serve myself and I don't serve my clients, my clients complain and I have refunds and I have issues. The one thing that is probably a bit unfair about the system is our complaints mean nothing and we can't get a refund. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I like, I, I like capitalism. You know, I, I like the free markets and the fair competition, but the system it pretends it's capitalism, but it's essentially communism. At least in Russia, they don't pretend to be capitalists. Rob, you've got an extensive, wide, vast amount of knowledge, right? That I'm very intrigued to know how you actually got the knowledge and where it came from. So I think the best way to do that 
is to understand who you are and what you do. So you mentioned, you know, in the first 15 minutes of this podcast, you got 350, 340 properties, right? Rental units. Rental units. Because some of them are in one big building. Fair yeah. enough. So who are you? And why is it that people watching this podcast right now should listen to the knowledge you are dropping? Okay, so um, 17 years ago, my dad had a nervous breakdown in his pub in front of all of his customers. The police got called out and he got beaten up in front of my eyes and the, all my customers, my mum and sister were there crying their by eyes the out or? by the police. Um, and I'd always wanted to be an entrepreneur from age six. So um, someone recently asked me, when did I start work? And it was actually age six. My dad got me working in his pub, bottling up and serving the customers. And I loved it. It was just like the best thing ever. How much of it did you drink? Uh, didn't drink anything, but I liked cash. <laughs> yeah, okay. um, and I did start drinking a bit young, but that's another <laughs> podcast. And so from age six to probably age 15, I just wanted to be like my dad and be an entrepreneur. And then my dad said, if you get all A's in your GCSEs, I'll give you 200 quid. And I, I got two A stars, six A's, two B's. So he rounded that to all A's and he gave me 200 quid. Pretty much smashed it then. Yeah. And uh, so it was good, but it wasn't good. By the way, 200 quid then with inflation is a lot of money. Now. Yeah, yeah, that's like two grand then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the, it was good because my dad got me to study, but it was bad because then I'm like, okay, I've got good GCSEs. I've got to do good A-levels and I've got good A-levels there. Therefore, I should go to uni. And all of a sudden, I'm 25 years and 11 months old, and I've gone to school and gone to uni. What did you study in uni? Architecture, did nothing with it. Worked with my dad for a bit. And then now, this whole system that you talked about, I was now stuck in. I had a car loan. I had a mortgage. I had credit cards. I was 50 grand in debt. And I was the product, and I was stuck. What was you in debt from uni? uni credit cards just buying just shit having things. no financial okay, knowledge yeah. i mean i didn't wake up one day and i was 50 grand in debt just from age 18 being i get your first credit card at uni just poor decision making exactly over tw over seven years you don't have to spend too much more each month than you earn to get to 50 grand of debt because yeah. of compounding yeah um and it was it's like slow chinese water torture you know that drip 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 you don't really notice it but seven years of that and you're like the whole bucket yeah my, my life is screwed and when I saw my dad have his nervous breakdown and be beaten up by the police and get sectioned and all of this shit, I was like, I have failed. I have let my dad, my dad down. I have to change this. Um, I went to a property networking event, met my business partner there. We bought 20 properties in year one with his money. I did it all, no money down. We bought 50 in year two. We sold some, we kept some. And yeah, fast forward to now, 340 rental units. We've got 1,350 that we manage in our management company. I've got the UK's biggest property training company, which probably does 20 plus million a year in sales. I've just written my 19th book. I write business and entrepreneurial books. Money Matrix is my new one. Broke the world record for the longest public speech. Done a podcast. Really? How long was that public speech? 47 and a half hours straight. How? Because I've got a lot to share. Yeah, but how is that humanely possible? <laughs> uh, if you had 47 and a half hours, I could talk to you for 47 and a half hours on business and entrepreneurship. Like when you love something, it's not work. So, I mean, look, I work. I said to you, you know, we were walking into a studio. You said, have you got any hobbies? Yeah. And I said work. Yeah, work. Yeah. And you said, what have you been doing over Christmas and New Year? I work. said work. But it's not work because it's my hobby. My hobby. I'm one of the luckiest people alive because my passion is my profession and my vocation is my vac vacation. I, 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 but I made that choice. Mm -hmm. um, 
so yeah, like, I don't know how many thousands of books I've read. I don't know how many thousands of podcast episodes I've listened to. You know, on Netflix, when everyone's looking for the new Squid Game to come out, yeah. I'm looking for the new Entrepreneur documentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I watch all the Entrepreneur documentaries. You know, when the new books come out, I want the new Elon Musk one with Walter Isaacson. And I want, you know, I want to be on podcasts like this. You want like to seek as much knowledge as possible. Knowledge. But um, anyone who loves something has got a lot of knowledge about it. Yeah. But I want to I want to break it down the section by section because yeah. you, you gave your life there <laughs> in a matter of two well, minutes. Well, the, the, sh- the radio edit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So look, okay, at twenty five years old, eleven months, you were fifty grand in debt. Was you working at that time? I was working for my dad in his pub. Oh, so you're still working. With so I got a degree in architecture, yeah, and I was working for my dad in his, pub. in his pub. And that's quite common for people to get a really good degree and then end up having to get a fairly average Do job, so and then you're stuck in the system. You are the product. So what what tickled your mind to go to randomly a property event? Well, I'm, I wish it was a tickle of my mind. It was seeing my dad get beaten up by the police outside his pub and having this stark realisation that my dad had given me every opportunity in life. He'd put me through school. He'd put me through uni. He'd helped me with my first car. He'd helped me with my first property. And I was working in his pub. I was just sponging off him. And I felt such intense shame that it gave me a lightning bolt. It was like for a, a week or two, I hated myself and I beat myself up. But shame is a great motivator if you can tap into it. And I was like, I need to show my dad I'm a winner, not a loser. And I don't know how to do this, but I'm just going to have to keep finding a way. And, you know, I would, I would say to anyone who's a bit lost in life, you don't need to know how yet. You just need to have the motivation and the desire. To do it. Because anyone can figure out what property networking events are going locally or what books to read or what podcasts to listen to or what TikTokers to follow. It takes you... 20 minutes of looking on the internet to find that out but you you know most people they don't do anything until they're really freaking uncomfortable and that was my mistake is I waited until I was uncomfortable don't do it now but I I do understand it wait until you're uncomfortable because it's like you're getting backed into a corner to a point where you have no other option but to fight through it and trying to figure out what the hell you need to do in order to get out that uncomfortability. You know, when you're comfortable and we're sitting down in the sofa right now. Yeah. There's so many like different things we can do. But if I'm backed into the corner, you've got a gun to my head and saying, if I'm going to pull this trigger, if you don't do something right now, yeah. you're going to do something. Yeah. Like you cannot fail when you cannot fail. Yeah. Like if everyone here who's a parent would be guaranteed that their children would be kidnapped and executed unless you raised a million pounds in the next six months, you've raised a million pounds. Mm-hmm. It's just, just dumb, isn't it? Yeah. So here's the thing. Most people don't know how to create that accountability. They just float along in life because it's never quite bad enough. Because it was actually a great gift to me, what happened with my dad and it for it to get really bad. Because then I had accountability. And when you have accountability, you're resourceful. Yeah. Um, and when there is no choice but to succeed, you cannot fail. So you, you have two choices here. Number one, you just coast along in life until shit gets really bad, which is surely the stupidest thing to do because it could take 10 or 20 years. Mm-hmm. Or you have to create that sort of accountability in yourself. Now, I know a lot of people don't like Andrew Tate, but one of the reasons that he's very successful and those that love him love him is because he basically says, if you're not successful, you're a loser. So, you know, 
You have to be angry and you have to tap into your shame. What he's basically saying is you have to make yourself accountable. Yeah. And one thing I actually really like about what he says, and this flies over some people's heads sometimes, even from the people that like him, is hold yourself accountable and responsible for everything you make and everything you do in life, whether it's good or bad, is 100% yeah. your fault and you cannot blame anyone else. Nah. So if I mess up this podcast somehow, it's my fault. If I make the greatest business decision, it's my fault. It's everything comes down to yourself at some point, as he, you know, he always says, you know, about the chess game. If I lost in the end, at some point in that game, I made a mistake, but it's about how you actually deeply analyze where that mistake came from. and How do you correct it later on in life? And that's what people fail to do. I think people don't want to take responsibility or blame themselves because it creates shame mm. to say I messed up that your ego is getting in it, your it won't let it happen yeah no and I like to feel shame every day and I like my ego to be challenged every day because I, I that means I'm being honest with myself and some people though they say oh well you can't help where you're born or you can't help if you um, got an injury or an illness there are most things in life that you can help, there are some things in life you, that you can't. But how you respond to what happens to you is 100% your fault, mm. no matter how bad that thing was. Yeah. And this is, this is really good advice, but people hate it because it's shining a mirror on your own failings. Yeah, that's why people hate. He's basically he saying the reason you are overweight and broke and single and lonely is your fault. Mm. And no, no one wants to fucking hear that. Yeah, no, of course not, no. But they as soon as you admit that, you can change it. Mm. But as soon as you, for as long as you blame someone else, you can't change it. As soon as you go, yep, it's my fault. Now, to say it's my fault, you don't have to beat yourself to a pulp. I'm a loser. No, you can just say, yeah, it's my fault. Okay, I, I change it. it. Yeah, accept it, move on. Yeah. Not move on, sorry, correct it. Yeah. And that's as simple as that. So you said you went to a property event, mm. met your business partner, bought 20 properties in the first year. Yeah. How did that all come about? Bought 20 properties in the first year, meet your business partner. Because 20 properties in one year is a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah thanks. I think so anyway. Maybe <laughs> yeah, for you now, it's probably not so much, but I mean... No, I mean, we, we've got 125,000 square foot apartment block with 100 properties in it. Okay, yeah. So, and that, we did that development in, in one go. Um, but no, thank you for saying that because I, I don't often sit down and go, yeah, I've done well. Yeah, I've bought a lot. I'm not very good at that. I so, think naturally as entrepreneurs, we don't really look at the moves we no. make and, and give ourselves We're always gratitude. looking forward. Literally. Yeah. Yeah, it was never good enough yeah. in the past. So um, when I think about it, because some people say to me, oh, Rob, we were really lucky to meet your business partner at your first property networking event. Yeah, but I spent seven years fucking about being a loser before I went there. But then when I went there, here's what I did. So I didn't want to go because I, like, I used to be an artist. And I'm into like rebellious rock and metal. So I like Rage Against the Machine, fuck the system. So, you know, Radiohead used to sing about yuppies. And, and I didn't like anyone in a suit, uh, you know, an entrepreneur or, a, you know, some kind of London banker. I would judge them. If someone drove a Ferrari, I'd judge them that they're a drug dealer. If someone wore a, you know, a suit, I'd judge them as being a yuppie because I was a bit more of a, a rebel and an arty guy. That was all my own shit. It was nothing to do with them. Um, so when I went to this first property meet, I was a bit uncomfortable. I didn't really like it. I didn't really fit in. Everyone seemed a bit mm, corporate and stuffy. 
But I went and spoke to every single person. I shook their hand, spent three or four minutes with them. I gave them a business card. And it was the last person at the bar that I met that was my business partner, Mark. And we chatted for a bit and we swapped cards. And if success is not complicated, we overcomplicate it. So if you're going to go to a networking event because you want to meet a potential business partner, don't sit in the corner and speak to no one, yeah. which is what most people do. Going isn't enough. So I went and I spoke to everyone. And then if you've got 12 business cards, I know this is a bit old school now, but you should still do this. If you've got 12 business cards, don't chuck them in the bin the next day. Mm. Call everyone up. So, yeah. I, so it wasn't like, oh, Mark was there, my business partner with a load of money, Eureka Magic. He was the last person I spoke to. I took his card. He was the last person I followed up with afterwards and called. And then we met and we built up a relationship. And because we were both similar age, we've, we hit it off socially as well as in business. And he was further down the road than me. He had more problems than me. He had more money than me. He saw my hunger, my desire, my hustle. And we did a deal. This is what I was going to ask you. So what did he actually see in you? Because if you've gone to that event trying to, essentially, I suppose, trying to find yourself. And as you said, owe it to your dad that you can't be in this position, position anymore. When you're at a networking event, as you mentioned there, people don't know how to network. So how did you know how to network? Because at the end of the day, you've got to share your value. You've got to show people why they should know you rather than why you should be knowing them and trying to get into their pockets. You want to say, look, I'm Rob. This is what I do. Da, 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 da. This is why you should call me. So what is it that you think you brought to the table? And that what do you think other people saw in you that day? Yeah. Okay. So, um, it doesn't even have to be like money-wise or, you know, net worth-wise. It's just yeah. tenacity. What do you think people saw in you? There's a few things to unpick here, and I want to unpick it all. Because one thing you said, which I don't agree with, go on. and that is you don't have to go to networking events and show everyone who you are. If you're just starting, just shut up and let them talk. Because yeah. have you got, yeah, have you got how to win friends and influence people here? Uh, like, somewhere here, I'm yeah. pretty sure, yeah. In your, in your book collection, you've got how to yeah. win friends and influence people. And the classic rule of building rapport is let everyone talk. Mm-hmm. Let them talk. So you actually don't have to go to networking events and show everyone who you are and what you've got if you're starting out. Because every winner was once a beginner and every master was once a disaster. So you can start now. I was broke. I went to this networking event 50 grand in debt. So the last thing I was going to do was open my gob. But <laughs> Hi guys, 50 yeah, grand down. I just want to let you know, I'd like to borrow your money, but I'm 50 grand in debt, so yeah. good luck. So you don't have to go and bear all or have any results. You go and listen to people and get them talking because that's the best way to build rapport. So that was how I did that. So what did Mark and what did other people see in me? You have two assets in life, resources or resourcefulness resources money experience and knowledge which you build over time but you don't always start with Mm -hmm. but resourcefulness every human is born with hustle tenacity determination solving problems never giving up persistence you know rebellion creativity every fucking human is born with them isn't it sad that we're born with infinite resourcefulness and we use about 2% of it. We don't tap into it. We don't tap into it. And this is why blaming yourself and being fully responsible and if anything goes wrong, it's on you and creating accountability is vital because what it does is it brings out your resourcefulness. My daughter is nine. She makes bracelets. She's absolutely brilliant at selling bracelets. 
No one's taught my daughter how to sell bracelets. She's nine. She's never learned sales. Mm. But she's got something that she's interested in and this resourcefulness comes out. Every kid is brilliant at negotiation. Anyone listening that's a parent, your kid, kids are naturally brilliant at negotiation. So I had no resources, but infinite resourcefulness. That's a good way to put it. So then you start snapping up properties at 20. Uh, you started snapping up properties 20 within the first year. I'm assuming with you not having the capital there, how did that actually work in terms of my like, business partner financed most of them and then his dad financed some of them, his stepdad and then his mum financed some of them. Yeah. Yeah. And then when we'd done maybe 50 and we didn't keep them all. I wish we had. I mean, we've, we own 340 units, but we've probably sold at least another 500 more. I wish I still owned them because yeah, then yeah. I'd own 840. Um, but yeah, he did turn to me a couple of years later and go, well, what about you and your money and your family? And then we ended up um, raising some money from my uncle and raising some money from my mum. And I, I didn't even know that they had it when I started it. Um, what, was, what was the actual model though? Was it to buy and flip or to buy and rent or what was it? We exactly? either, I mean, my favourite strategy is buy, hold, die. Buy, hold, die. Why? But, well, if I sell, if I was buying properties for 50 grand. Yeah. In 2008, that peaked to around 200 grand mm-hmm. in 2023. That'll be 400 grand in 2037. Mm-hmm. That'll be 800 grand in 2050. That'll be 1.6 million in 2064, which I hope to be alive. So a 50 grand property could be 1.5 million in my lifetime. Yeah. Okay. I Whereas see if I buy it for 50 and sell it for 100 and I make 50 minus all the fees, 42, yeah. minus the tax, 26, divided by two with my business partner, 13, divided by two with my wife, yeah. six and a half. What do I want? Six and a half in the pocket now, mm. net, net, or it to go from 50 to 1.5 million over my lifetime and get all the income in the meantime. So we held everything that we could, but anything that we couldn't hold because we couldn't finance because we didn't have the money because we didn't have unlimited money, we sold to other people and just took a sourcing fee. What do you think you learned within the first year of you doing business with Mark? I learned that buying property is not that complicated but it's important to stay local and buy used, not brand new property. I learned that... So no off-plan builds. No off-plan, no new build, no overseas. You know, you got an, an M4. What was that new? I think 75 maybe. Okay, what's it now? 30-ish. Okay, so are you better to buy it at 75 or 30? 30. 30. 30. Yeah. So um, I, I get some cars new. But most, I've got, I just bought an Aston Martin DBS. What do you think of it? Love it. James Bond style. It's the, it's the DBS. Okay. Like, there is no sexier car on the planet. Than an Aston Martin. Than the DBS. Yeah. Not, not the DB11 or 12 or the DBS. Like, okay, some people are going to disagree with me, right? But if you take the average person, man, woman, because most women don't like local Lambos. Yeah, no, they're not. But women love the look of a a Mm. DBS. So um, that was 300 grand new. I got it four years old, paid 165 for it. I 
probably got it 20 grand under its value because it was like a highlighter yellow color. I took it to Yanni, got it wrapped in this really nice blue. Gave him five grand for the wrap. I think he done a video on that, right? Yeah, 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 I, yeah, see yeah. I saw that. Yeah. So I've got a hundred and I've got basically a three hundred grand car, four years old. And I don't do many miles on it, so it doesn't even make. And it's the newest model still, mm-hmm. for almost half price. So why would I buy it at three hundred grand and lose one hundred and fifty? It's the same with property. Why would I buy something at 200 and it be worth 150 in five years? Because that's what a new build will be. It goes down before it goes up. up, Like I've got old vintage Porsches and Ferraris. Mm -hmm. They go down and then they They go up. up. They shoot up high, high. (laughs) Yeah, they they do. But, um, you know, they go down before they go up. No, not limited edition cars. Just, so, just a quick one on the yeah. cars. When you're buying cars, obviously you said you've got a vast collection, right? When you're buying the cars, do you consider... One second. Who's calling me? When you're buying these cars, do you consider the value and do you buy them purposely for the point of putting your money elsewhere and letting it hold? For I'll give you an example. You've got an Aventador, right? Yep. Last of a dying breed, V12. Yep. Yeah, it's only a matter of time before those shoot through the roof. If you look at the the likes of the last V12 Lamborghini, which is a Murcielago, yeah, you caught, they're more expensive now than the Ventadors. Yeah. So, do you buy that car purposely thinking, oh, this car's going to actually hold my money and increase my wealth, and it's not sat in the bank? Okay, so I've got different cars for different purposes. Yep. So the dailies like the RSQA or Range Rover or 911 or the 911 Turbo S. I'll buy them in my limited liability partnership, mm-hmm. probably put some finance on them and depreciate the car and run all the running costs through my company, which is a dramatic tax saving. Anyone listening, you must get good advice. Don't just go and do that on a whim. But I have saved many hundreds of thousands of pounds owning cars in my company. Yeah, The Aventador is one of them. Um, I think that was 255 when we bought it. I think it was 300 odd new. It was a few years ago. It's two, I think we bought it at 255. It's not dropped much considering they normally do. Um, I'm going to keep that because I've got the Roadster. It's not the SVJ, but I just didn't think that was any much better. Um, but I've got the Roadster and they didn't make many of them. And yeah, I think especially, you know, if they go hybrid, which I think is the, the Revelto hybrid. hybrid. Yeah. There yeah. you go. So I'm going to keep it. Um, so some are bought in my company, which means I can, because if you buy a car after tax, it costs you twice as much as if you buy a car before tax. But if you buy a car before tax in an, a limited company, you get basically all of that is charged in, um, company car tax, benefit and kind tax. So there's no real way around it except owning it as an asset in an LLP. Get proper advice because not everyone can do it. So I essentially pay half for my cars when I buy them in a company. Then I've got a 1989 Porsche 911, the bad boys one in guards red. I've got a Ferrari Testarossa in Rossa red. I've got an aerial Atom. And those cars I just bought with cash. Um, I, the Ferrari's gone up. The Porsche will go up. The Atom, they don't really drop too much. So that is a bit more to have cash somewhere else because the bank doesn't own that. Mm. I own that. But also when you when you get to a certain point where you've made enough money, you, you've you got money. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I put money in watches and cars and gold and 
I've probably got enough in real estate now. But by the way, I do want to say this as well. <laughs> Even though I've been doing the counter argument, I'm on the complete same side as you. You know, yeah. I, don't, I don't keep money in the bank. Anywhere I can invest money or put money, I will do so. Yeah. So whether it's property, whether it's cars, I, I wish I did know about the car and the, the way the tax works and all you that. Still sort of find stuff. it out though. I can still find yeah. it out. But I've bought two cars now, which are going to be long term investments, I believe. Mm. Um, but they're bought under personal name, which yeah. I should have sorted out. Yeah. Um, watches as well. Yeah. Um, anything I can where I can actually just put money, hold money, and just you know sell up later on if I needed to. But I want to be in a position where I don't need to sell up. Yeah. So that that's what I'm yeah. trying to do. I mean, if you buy something with the intention to hold it forever one you'll probably buy it quite well yeah two you won't have all the buying and selling costs which people never see you won't have the trading costs that people never see but the other thing is if you make a mistake and you slightly overpay for it time will sort you out Yeah, yeah, yeah if you buy a property that you thought was worth 200 and you ended up paying 225 for it so you bought it over market value well, in 15 years, that's going to be worth 400. So you're not going to be that much of a mistake. Yeah. But if you buy it with the intention of selling it, yeah, you're going to lose, yeah, you're gonna gonna lose money. Lose money. Yeah. Yeah. The next thing as well is um, you want some form of assets where you own it and it's physical and the banks or the government can't get their hands on it easily. The, yeah. These cars that I've bought, I'd say like I bought them a really, really good deal, which is why I bought them. And good. also... Yeah. The cars that I don't even drive yeah. and they haven't even seen the light of day on social media or anything yeah. like that and they're just parked away. There you go. Literally. Yeah, and, and maybe it's the same with watches and gold and, and art and things like that. I'm not saying do anything illegal. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> of course, uh, but you can buy these assets. Yeah. And okay, if the government wanted to come after you and seize those assets, they could. But number one, if you're a legal law-abiding citizen, they're not going to do that. And number two, if the banking system falls apart, which it could... You know, I interviewed Robert Kiyosaki and um, Sharon, sorry, Kim Kiyosaki, his ex-wife, and they both think the banks are going to fold. They think the banks are going to crash. And if the banks crash and fold, you're going to want to own your own stuff. You know, you're going to want to own gold. Everyone should own gold. Everyone should own silver Mm -hmm. because you own it. And then after a while, seven years or whatever, it's kind of probably quite out of the system, fairly legally and, well, very legally and legitimately, um, and then it's yours. Do you think, I'm going to go back to this point as well about the whole banking system and everything like that. Do you think that the likes of, you know, your cryptos and all this sort of, you know, alternatives to banking came, well, not, I don't know, they're not alternatives to banking, but people where you could put your money, do you think they came back because you had someone initially in the beginning say, I'm sick of the banks and what they're going to do and I know they're going to crash. Let me create Bitcoin, something like that. I can't say for sure if Bitcoin was because someone knew the banks were going to crash. But essentially, decentralization is the rebellion against globalization. Mm-hmm. So globalization is 13 families or one world government yeah. who essentially productize 7 billion people. So how do we consume the most out of 7 billion people? Get you all in debt tax the arse off you, you know, make sure you're paying loads of interest. Maybe we'll give you some credits, get rid of cash, get rid of ways that you're avoiding tax. That, you know, that's, that would be, whether it's conspiracy or reality, that would be the goal of the globalized one world government corporation. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
the rebellion against that is decentralization, individualism, freedom of speech, entrepreneurship, content creators who are individuals. We are the rebels. We are the rebellion against that. Of course, they want us to be controllable and we want to be free. So Bitcoin, people who love gold, people who become individual content creators, entrepreneurs who leverage all, all the tax breaks, other assets like NFTs and all these things that come about, it's decentralization and freedom. And I will fight to the fucking death for my own decentralization and freedom. Because without that, I don't have a, a life. I, I am just literally in the film The Matrix. You are plugged into and your body is consumed. Your mind and your blood is consumed. And the more to a globalized you know, they poison us with sugar. Um, the propaganda information to hypnotize us into doing what we're told. In the end, I'm just going to be, I might as well just give them my arms, let them suck my blood, give them my money. Yeah, let just give them, them everything. Yeah. yeah, just give them everything. and Just exist like I'm in a coma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't do it. It's not me. Do you think, because I, I do believe that in today's day and age, and as time goes on, a lot more people are waking up to this propaganda that's going on and they're understanding how the actual real world works. Do you think eventually at some point in the future, whether it be in our lifetimes or our kids' lifetimes, we're going to see the society where banks are collapsed and now things are actually decentralised? And what do you think that would actually look like in the real world? Um, because I, then that means at that point, no one's controlling anyone at the moment. And at that, and you, that means no one's controlling anyone at that time. Okay, so the best indicator of the future is the past. So what we're going to see in the future is the rising and falling of empires Mm -hmm. like we always have. So at the moment, the dollar is the global reserve currency, but the pound was at one point and other currencies have been. And maybe in the future, China will become the dominant global superpower. In a thousand or 10,000 years, It might even be some currency we've never heard of that becomes the global superpower. I mean, the idea of the banks as a global centralized company was only really formed just over 100 years ago. Um, And there's conspiracy theories as to how that happened as a private meeting of a few of the top bankers in the world who wanted to crush all the competition. All the the reptilians. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But so... Banks as we know them are a form of empire which rise and become all powerful and then fall when there's a rebellion, just like governments, just like cities. So, yeah, the the banking system as we know it now will be overthrown Mm. if it... Because basically, as things rise into power, they benefit society and then as they become too powerful, they benefit the few. And in the end, when society benefits too few, the masses rebel and overthrow. Mm. And then everything is wiped out and knocked down. And then all the people build it up again. And it just goes through cycles. It's, it's like a reset, isn't it? Yeah. Do you think COVID was the start of a reset, the lockdowns? Well, you're brave talking about this if you're going to put this on your YouTube channel. Um, That's part of the trailer right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
I'm, it may not go in the podcast. I'm just trying to understand uh, as, as a yeah, perspective look, point of view. I think it's a good question. I've thought long and hard about whether COVID was real. Do I think that the virus was real as opposed to synthetically, you know, infiltrated into society? I think it's it was a real virus. I don't think the actual leaking of that virus was a biological weapon or anything like that. So I don't go that far. Um, but I don't know. And everyone who thinks they know, do they really know? Um, do I think it was an opportunity for the corporations in the guise of the government to test if they could productize us more, i.e., you know, lockdowns and our compliance. Yeah, I, I think that, I don't think the government ran the legislation for the lockdown. If you look at the UK government, absolute bunch of clowns, c- c- complete bumbling idiots couldn't organize a piss up in a brewery look at all none of them knew what they were fucking doing a bunch of 15 year olds could have ran ran the country bad that's fucking obvious i mean i knew that at the time but it's actually been proven now (laughs) so clearly therefore the government was being controlled by someone higher Yeah, yeah, yeah in terms of the rules and what happened and could it have been a test for mass compliance and control yes and did most people comply? Yes. Should lockdown have happened? Fucking no. Older people should have been protected, but you didn't need to lock down the whole of society. But society was put back years. Businesses were ruined. Bill- trillions were wasted. And who has to pay for the trillions? We do. We do. Because the only source of revenue for the government is us. So you think, oh, well, the banks got bailed out. We didn't have to pay. Yes, we did, because the bailout money came from us oh well we didn't pay for covid yes we did because the trillion or whatever that it all cost came from us comes from us that's why taxes are so high now um so we're going to feel the effect of this for another decade or two at least and i think there was an element of control and and mass testing of the compliance of society i want to switch up the conversation and just ask what do you think can I just say one more thing? Go on. To me, lockdown was a crime against humanity where there was no accountable and the people that locked us down should be on trial. And all they're doing is going on, I'm a celebrity or getting paid 250 grand a keynote speech. But what do you think the realistic scenario of that happening is? They'll all get away with it. Yeah. They'll all get that's, away that's with it. That's the issue. They'll all get away with it. Mm. How many people... I was told by a good source that more people died because of lockdown than were saved by lockdown. If and that's true, it might not even yeah. be, but if that's true, that is a crime I've, against humanity. I've heard that as well in terms of, you know, suicide rates, depression, all that sort of stuff. You know, people are just yeah. Xing themselves off, which is just crazy, which is worse than that actual illness. Yeah. Which is why I feel like that played a part of people's illness where they thought they had COVID, but really and truly it's just a mental breakdown sort of thing. Yeah. And then sticking four vaccines in not knowing what's in that vaccine, not having time to know if that was properly researched. Because surely it takes 10 years plus to properly research a vaccine. I'm not a I take it you're, scientist. Or you didn't take vaccines. Um, <laughs> this can stay between you and I. <laughs> yeah. Um, I felt the pressure of being able to, essentially to me, the vaccine was a passport to be able to leave the country. Yeah. And I feel that was 
an unjust way of putting a pressure on a lot of people because now anyone can travel yeah literally so basically we were told if you wanted to travel you have to have the vaccine and clearly that was another fucking great big lie so um i I don't judge anyone if they took it or not i'm not one of these pro or antis i felt pressure i didn't want to be restricted to my country as an entrepreneur and so I felt pressure to take a vaccine. I'm not saying it's a poison, but I am saying I don't think there was enough testing and research. I don't think it was long enough. And normally I wouldn't put anything into my body mm. unless I know there'd been 10 years plus of testing and it was impossible to yeah. have that. So, yeah, that that I didn't feel fair. Yeah, but they had, like you said, there was the pressure there too for you to travel and everything. Yeah. But yeah, switching up the conversation slightly, I want to ask, what do you think in today's society is the best way to make money? Property aside. Yeah. And I want to more understand money as well. Okay. So probably the best way to make money in today's society is leveraging the internet. The internet is the biggest commerce platform in the world. The internet is a market. Thousand years ago, you had a local market Mm -hmm. and people would bring their cattle and they would bring bring their grain and maybe some jewellery that they'd made and they would exchange on the market. And now the biggest market in the world is the internet. And of course, we've got sort of evolution two and three of the internet, social media, cryptocurrencies, mm. web three, metaverse, NFTs. But they're all the same thing, yeah. which is the marketplace of the internet. You and I are currently on the marketplace of the internet. You will monetize this content through TikTok and YouTube and all the other monetization tools and you might have sponsors and advertisers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the absolute biggest market in the world is the internet and therefore the best way to make money in the world is leveraging the biggest marketplace in the world which is the internet. What else about money? Because you've written, you said 47 books? 60? 47, 60? 19. 19. I thought you said you was, okay. No. Uh, 47 hours was the that's world the record. Yeah, okay. So yeah. 47 hours worth of talking. Thousand podcast episodes though. Thousand podcast episodes, mm. which is crazy. So I'm just, I am just want to uh, like, in a way, almost like a selfish way, extract as much knowledge yeah. as, a, as I can from you whilst you're here. Yeah, be selfish. It's you. all good. So what I do you want to know? I want to know. So your last book was, what, sorry? Money Matrix. So M- Money Matrix is my most recent book. Okay. Maybe by the time this drops, it's out. Yep. It's when, out imminently. March 24th. Okay, so this will come out pretty much end of this month. So cool, probably- yeah. yeah, so it's out soon. Pre-order links? Um, I haven't got any links built. Okay. But um, if you search Money Matrix, you'll find you'll it. You'll find it, yeah. Also, um, maybe my book Money, which is global bestseller, maybe get that one first. Yeah. Just called Money, Rob Moore. Um, yeah, so that's my 19th book. I'm, I've got about another five that I'm currently writing, all about money. Um, because like now being 17 years an entrepreneur, nearly two decades in my 40s, I feel like, yeah, you know, what, I've got a good foundational knowledge here. So even though I've written a lot of non-property, non-money books, start now, get perfect later, I'm worth more, etc. life leverage. I actually now want to focus and write books all about money. I want to go, my goal is to be the biggest creator influencer on money in the world by age 50. Currently, it's probably, you know, Robert Kiyosaki, Dave Ramsey, those kind of people. I've got quite a lot of years on them, at least 20. Um, and I think I can do it within the next, I just turned 45. So I've got five years to achieve that goal. And I've been doing it 17, but I've not really specialized. I've done property and business and entrepreneurship. Now it's just money. Like, think about this. Money is the most important tool 
that we use. And it's the tool that most people have no idea how to use. You know how to use a spanner. You know how to use a car wrench, or maybe you don't. Car jack. You know how to use a Swiss army knife. But the most important tool to give you everything that you want in your life is money. And you don't know how to use it. And the system doesn't want you to know how to use it because then you be, create the product rather than that. You are the product. Yeah, they, that's the chance of getting out of the system. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then you can compete with them and yeah. they don't want you to compete with them. So this is now my life's mission. I feel like now you're, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you're at a stage where it's like property is secondary now and seeking knowledge and giving out knowledge regarding whether it's about money, entrepreneurship. And as you said, your goal is to be the biggest money uh, money content creator in the world. Mm. By 50 years old, I feel mm. like that's like your main focus right now. Yeah, it and is. property is on the secondary. Yeah, well, it's I almost mean, like property is giving you the passive income for you to uh, for you to be able to do this. Yeah. and achieve that goal. Yeah, so I'm not in love with property. I'm in love with the money property gives me. Mm. And because once you buy a property and get a tenant in, it's relatively low maintenance mm-hmm. from then on. Obviously, you've got ongoing, but yeah, you yeah, can yeah. just have a management company that does do it, that. Yeah. So of the 340 units that I own, they don't even take 15 minutes a month of my time Mm -hmm. because they've all been systemized. So it's an asset that gives me money, but it's not a passion project that gives me meaning and purpose. But I have a lot of people don't know this about me, but I've been doing this 17 years. So there's so many people on, on podcasts who just have not been doing this anywhere near as long as I have. So I've got the UK's largest property training company. I've been teaching property and business and entrepreneurship for 17 years. Um, but it's just now, thanks to TikTok and podcasts, that it's become I'm, more, I'm more mainstream. Yeah. Um, whereas I was more just known by entrepreneurs. So yeah, my passion and purpose and meaning and vision and mission is to help as many people on this planet get better financial knowledge. And essentially... Everything that the governments and central banks and the 13 families and the richest people in the world and the, in the billionaires, everything that they know about money, I'm teaching the masses. Yeah. And where are you learning it from, though? Other than doing it for 17 years, no, becoming but, a millionaire age 31, a decade well, millionaire age Is it from people that you meet? Is it from, you know, people that you know? Well, all right. It's, it's all. Like, because it, there's knowledge you, you cannot get. teach what you have not done. Okay. So if there's any creator, influencer, YouTuber, TikToker out there that's teaching shit and they haven't done it, ignore them. You would not go and get a personal trainer who's 15 stone overweight because <laughs> yeah. they haven't done it. Yeah. So I've been doing it for 17 years and there's TikTokers who've been doing it a year. That's They're not fucking doing it. So first and foremost, where did I learn all this stuff? Doing it. For 17 years, living it, breathing it, eating it, sleeping it. That's the most important. Reading thousands of books, having loads of mentors, you know, listening to thousands of podcast episodes, being in the networks of people. That's also important. Yeah. But actually doing it. What would you say is the best way for others to learn? For people watching this podcast right now, obviously. Find people like me who've done it. Yeah. Like yeah, if they're listening to this podcast, they want to learn. Yeah, of course. So find people like you and me. And stalk us, Co- consume all of our content, read all of our books, listen to all of our podcast episodes, reach out to us, ask us for help. I'm sure you reply to people. I do. I get in the DMs. I get in the comments. Like you can read and you can study. That's slow. But stand on the shoulders of giants. Mm. Um, you know, leverage the traits of the greats. The quickest way is to find someone who's done it and learn from them. I think I can share two things that are the most important to learn in your life. Yeah. Number one, 
is to learn and master the tool of money because it is the most important tool you will ever use. It is freedom, it is choice, it is autonomy, it is the ability to say no, it is the ability to go where you want, meet who you want, it opens every single door. So take that seriously, that would be one thing. The second thing is self-actualization, which is becoming the greatest version of the individual human that you are. You and I are on a similar path, but we also live a different life. Mm -hmm. I'm not meant to be you. You're not meant to be me. Hopefully, you know, we meet and we do business together. But each one of us has a maximized potential version of ourselves and then an unfulfilled, you know, played small version of ourselves. And I believe we're all born to self-actualize to our greatest human potential. So who am I? What am I supposed to do with my life? What do I know more than anyone else? What do I love to do? How can I commit my life to it? And how can I add as much value to as many people as possible? Whether it's being a nurse or an entrepreneur or a watchmaker or a podcaster is not relevant because we're all needed. We need the best nurses just like we need the best entrepreneurs. Learn the tool of money, self-actualize to be the best you can. They're the two things I would say the most important things in life. This is what I wanted to ask you. And it kind of ties into what you were saying. So as you mentioned earlier in this podcast, you've got a collection of cars, you know, whether it's from be it Aventador, Porsches, Ferraris, etc. list goes on. And there was a point in your time in your life where you didn't have those cars. So would you say that having those cars, A, makes you happy? And B, what I really want to know is having those cars, do you believe opens doors more so than if you didn't have those cars? For example, you could have a supercar that Aventador and go to your private supercar club. And you could meet a whole lot of other entrepreneurs there. The reason why I asked this is because I actually had this conversation with my dad. And he told me to shut up because I was like, listen, I need to buy a Lambo. <laughs> and he was like, no, nah, mate, it's not happening. Yeah. But I was like, it's, I think it's a brilliant networking tool that people undermine. So I make my money. Money doesn't make me. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a master of my money. Money is a great servant to me. It is not my master. And so when it comes to cars and houses and watches and any material items, as long as I master them and they don't own me, then they're good. People say to me, money doesn't make you happy. I say it fucking does. Does it? Well, I've been broken. I've been rich. Let me ask everyone this. I won't give you the answer. Let me ask everyone this. All other things equal. Because if you're going to do an accurate test, everything else has to be equal. Okay. And you have to test one variable. So... Everything else is equal. Would you rather be broke or rich? Rich. Yeah. Yeah. Everything else has to be equal for you to be able to judge the money bit. Mm -hmm. Would you, everything else equal, would you rather have a shit car or a nice car? Nice car. Travel first class or cattle class? First class. Nice holiday or butling shit holiday? Nice. (laughs) You choose all the nice things. Now. But maybe that depends on the type of type of person you no, are. No, I don't think it does. I don't, no? If everything else is equal, even Mother Teresa probably wouldn't have wanted to travel nice. But, this, but what I'm saying is this is me answering the question. I feel like if we got Joe Bloggs from down the road... Let's who get Joe Bloggs. Everyone, every, <laughs> the thing is, because everything about, else has to be equal for it to be a test. Does money make you happy or not? Well, then everything else has to be in the same context. But then you imagine... Do you know anyone who wants a shit a car? No. Do anyone want a smaller house? No. Okay, maybe if they're older and downsizing. (laughs) But no, do you know anyone who wants worse? No, most people want better. 
Yeah. Now, if you remember that money is a tool, if you had a car puncture, do you want to try and lift that car up with your hands or do you want a good car jack? I want a good car jack. Because it's a tool that makes it easy to replace the wheel. Yeah. Money is a tool that makes it easy to live. So surely you want the best tool. But the thing with money is what we do is we put our religions, our emotions, you know, oh, money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. Money changes you. Money will make you a bad person. You're greedy if you I like, like money. These are, these are sayings made up by the Matrix. Maybe they are. I don't know. But they're also limiting beliefs that aren't true. So back to your question. My life is better owning seven cars than it is owning none. That being said, it costs me 70 to 100 grand a year to maintain them. I don't know what it costs in insurance. They fucking break down all the time. When you've got really low riding cars, like I just bumped the front um, splitter on my DBS and it's moved the fucking panel out. Yeah, That's yeah. going to be a five gram bill. <laughs> British my, cars though, isn't it? <laughs> the, the, the wing mirror on my Lamborghini cost me five and a half grand when I just clipped it. Yeah, that's crazy. So the thing is, do not be delusional that you can have money and no problems. And by the way, I'm not, don't cry me a river just because I've got, you know, a high running cost with all these cars. Um, do cars open doors? Yes. Do, do people look at me and aspire to change their life because I have a B-Reg brown rusty Vauxhall Nova? No. Do they want to see me in a Lamborghini? Yes. Why? Now, they don't give a fuck if I've got a Lamborghini. They want to see me in a Lamborghini so that they can see themselves in their Lamborghini. So do I want to inspire people? Yes. Does having nice cars and nice things inspire people? Yes. If I'm a twat with that, then I deserve all the criticism. If I'm a humble, kind guy, I always use my Lamborghini to pick people up and take them to proms and, you know, do all that. People who are, you know, maybe only got a few weeks to live and want to be be in a Lamborghini. Give them back. Yeah, exactly. So, but they are just tools, just Mm. like money. But do they open doors? Yeah, Yeah, they do open doors. I want to know, what's the biggest challenge you've had to face in your life? I'm going to give you two. Go on. The biggest challenge I've had to face in my life is not believing I'm good enough. And the great thing about being an entrepreneur is it forces you to believe it because when you make money, that's the proof. The second biggest challenge I've had in my life was lockdown. Now, I went into victim mode of blaming the government for lockdown for about two weeks And they were a hard, painful two weeks for me. As soon as I owned lockdown as being my fault, lockdown wasn't my fault, but how I respond to lockdown was my fault. And as soon as I owned, because I could have prepared for lockdown. Some people say you can never prepare for a lockdown. Well, I could have done, because if I look back through history, there were lockdowns. Mm. So my fault, not being ready. But now I know that you must prepare for what you can't prepare for. But... I do think it was a crime against humanity and that does really piss me off. And that was my, because I have over a hundred staff and I had to sit down in the kitchen. We couldn't go in the meeting rooms because everyone was all there and with a spreadsheet and basically go, yeah, we've got, we've got to let them go. We've got to let them go. Okay, we'll keep them. We've got to let them go. I'm not sure about them. We'll put them in a B list. We've got to let them go. And I basically just look at a piece of paper and 
decide people's livelihoods. And I, I had to let 35 staff go in one go. I ended up bringing them all back, which yeah. I'm proud of. But, um, Did you not do any furlough ones? Or yeah, we, we, that was one of the ways we brought okay. them back. Okay, and then yeah. also we reduced the overhead. We, we got ourselves lean. We pivoted. We built all of our um, courses online. And then we brought, brought them back one by one as we could. They're the two biggest challenges. But if you don't believe in yourself, why should anyone else? And if anyone can help, and if anyone else can do it, why can't you? Yeah, why can't you? It's like you mentioned with the Lamborghini. It's like if Rob can do it, I can do it sort of thing. I look at as I look at that shiny object and see myself driving it rather than yeah. more so than Yeah, you Rob don't give a fuck it. that I've got one. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we do. But <laughs> you like... don't. You, you want to see yourself in it. Yeah. And if me owning one helps you see yourself in it, because here's the thing with the Lamborghini. All it is, is a reward for earning money. And earning money is one metric of success. And if you work or own a business, which is fucking everyone, money is how you get rewarded. Mm. So making money is the reward for everyone, but no one wants to admit it. Obviously, if you go to the gym, the reward is looking good and, and living long. But working and running a business, which is everyone, the reward is money. And if you've got a Lamborghini, that's a high reward. And it's just the trophy that you put on your desk to go, I am successful at making money. This has come to, it brings to the top of my mind right now, right? As you said, you work pretty much 24-7. You don't stop, even over Christmas period, New Year period, you still work. I I believe, and I, maybe it might change in the future as I go older, but I believe that in life, for you to grow, you kind of have to take a break, analyse the, the world and your situation, find opportunities within that break, and when you come back, act on them. So, for example... I might take a little setback, watch a couple of my podcasts, all that sort of stuff, realise where I'm going wrong, all that sort of stuff, analyse it, reflect on it and move forward. With you working 24-7 and you working all the time, how do you actually take the time to reflect upon yourself for you to progress with yourself? Okay, so I write about this in Life Leverage because basically all societal rules and norms I broke and reinvented. So let's talk about some of them. You work nine to five. I work whenever the fuck I want. On my birthday, I got up at three in the morning and started work. I want to work whenever the fuck I want. So that's rule number one I've broken. Rule number two, you go on holiday two or three times a year in August and whenever else. No, I go on holiday whenever the fuck I want. You go on holiday to disconnect from your life. I don't go on the holiday to disconnect from my life because I love my life. So I don't have anything to go on holiday from. So I go on holiday and interview people on podcasts, on my podcast while I'm on holiday. Yeah. I go and run a mastermind. I go and meet billionaires. So basically, I observe the masses and do the opposite. So I have a holiday every day. I have a retirement every day. So for me, this isn't work, but it's work. Mm. But I haven't even looked at my watch for the last hour and a half. So I've merged work and rest, work and play, holiday, vacation and vacation. And the only way you can do that is being an entrepreneur because otherwise you have to conform to all of society's rules. Yeah, your work is your life, essentially. Yeah. 
you know, what you do around that, you could still find, I mean, do you know what, thinking about it, I do agree with you, because even times where I do go away and try and reflect, I'm still out there working yeah. of some sort. I don't go anywhere without camera equipment. There I don't go. go anywhere without having a laptop. Yeah, and you want to go and meet some interesting people, you want to go make meet some people, connections. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I, I do you know what, I agree with you now that I look at it, because even when I do try and sit and do, not nothing, but just try and switch off, it doesn't work. I get no. the itch, I'm just, it's almost like I have a flipping addiction here's the something thing. like that to do something. Society and broke people tell you you're working too hard mm. because it makes them feel uncomfortable that they're not working hard enough. Yeah. So the advice that the masses give you is loaded with their own shame. I don't listen to the masses. I listen to people who are richer than me. Mm. I listen to people who are more successful than me. And I listen to people who've got my back and want me to be successful. Because otherwise, oh, well, you work too hard and you should need to rest and go on holiday. Oh, yeah, you yeah. shouldn't be doing all this and, and all of that. You, you're too obsessive. Obsessive or average, which one do you want? Mm. Yeah, fairs, fairs, fairs. Um, as you just mentioned the book there, I want to know what was the actual motivation behind writing 19 books? Obviously, I understand what you just said now. You know, 50 years old, you want to be the most known money content creator in the world. I will be. You will be, will 100%. Be. You can yeah. manifest it. But oh, no, I can make it happen. I'll you, make it happen. You'll make it happen, it. yeah. <laughs> but, so when did you write your first book? And what was the motivation for writing all these books? So I was, it was 2007 stroke eight when I wrote Property Investing Secrets. So I believe to be the most successful, you have to equally balance the selfish and the selfless. If you're so selfless, you give everything away, you've got nothing left for yourself. Mm-hmm. If you're so selfish that you want everything for yourself, no one will give you anything. Mm. So sustainable and scalable wealth and success is balancing the selfish and the selfless. And I believe I do that with writing. So my books, selfishly, they help me get all the noise out of my head. They're quite good therapy for me. I make a fuck ton of money out of them. They're assets for me because I earn hundreds of thousands of pounds a year on books I wrote 17, 16 years ago. I was ago. just going to ask this. Yeah, it's like an asset. You get money from them. Yeah. Every single book is passive income. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so they're the selfish motivations. The selfless are, how many millions of people on the planet can I help? Help them start a business. Help them buy their own investment property. Help them get out of the matrix. You know, help them believe in themselves. So that's why I write books. You're, that's why I do podcasts. That's why I run companies. Yeah. You're a very open guy, so I'm going to ask you this. You can ask me whatever you like. Nine inches. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, not that one. (laughs) Not that one. You said your most popular book was what, sorry? Probably Money and Life Leverage. So I self-published Life Leverage, and it went to number one in all books, um, even above like um, J.K. Rowling's and all of that. And when that happened, the second biggest publisher in the world emailed me and went, how the fuck have you done that? Um, and then I wrote, in, I think in 2019, Money. Money, the original manuscript was 250,000 words. It was a 10-year research project. Um, and it's the most, I'm going to put this out there. I've read nearly all the money books. It is the most comprehensive encyclopedia of money that has been written definitely in the last 50 years. Where can I buy these books? So I'm thinking I just want to add them to the collection and Everywhere. the studio and stuff like that. Yeah, Amazon, Everywhere. all that sort of stuff. Amazon, uh, Audible. Anywhere you get books. Okay, so break this down for me then. The second biggest publisher in the world contacted you saying, how did you do it? Yeah. I'm asking you now, how did you do it? So number one is my research project was success. Mm-hmm. So plenty of people do research by looking at the internet and reading other books. 
I actually got out of debt and became a millionaire by age 31. Mm-hmm. And I was 50 grand in debt age 26, 7. Um, so actually living it and doing it. Number two is documenting what I'd done. Then doing the research of other people's tools and tips that I thought were quite useful. Uh, and um, then getting good at marketing. So if you had a gun to my head and said, Rob, what's the single most important skill you need to be successful? I'd probably say marketing because marketing is generating leads. Sales is converting leads into cash. Yeah. Without leads, there is no cash. So without marketing, there is no sales. So I launched a niche book that went to number one in all books because I got good at marketing, i.e. I got good at social media. I got good at um, telling a story. I got good at creating a concept that people wanted and I got good at building a launch plan and I got good at hammering the world. Like when I launched Money Matrix in March, there will not be a person alive that's got eyes that won't see that launch. I will spam the fucking world when that book comes out. Mm. You're either going to buy that book or you're going to block me because (laughs) otherwise I'm not doing the world a service. Yeah. Yeah. And my question following that is how much money did you make from it then? I've made millions from my books. Yeah. But just that millions. one book, the one, the one. Oh, well, I, the thing is when my publisher pays me, they pay me randomly and there's royalties from what? My publishers, I think got five or six books with me. The rest are self-published. So it's all smorgasbord and did a cluster fucked into one. <laughs> yeah. um, I think they pay us twice a year. M- I've made millions from the books. From the books. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Maybe writing a book is uh, something I need to look into. Yeah. Dog. Well, look, it's not necessarily the easiest way mm. because if if you think about it, this could be a chapter of a book, but you're going to monetize it on YouTube and TikTok and everything else. So probably an easy, I'll tell you the best way to write a book. Think about your niche. Do 52 podcast episodes on it, which are the 52 chapters. Put all those 52 episodes across multiple social media channels. Collect all the money from it. Get feedback from all the comments. And then get the 52 episodes transcribed. Take all the feedback and write the book that way. Yeah. Do you do audibles for the books as well? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, I probably sell more on audible than I do on physical now. Your voice or you hire someone else to do it? I've done both. Yeah. So when I wrote Life Leverage, I got someone else to do it because the book's about leverage. Yeah. And I've had thousands of people moan at me that I'm not reading that book. But if I wrote, if I read that book and we'll go, well, he's talked about leverage and he's written his own book, read his own book. So conceptually it had to be someone else. But yeah, um, I've read most of them. I don't like doing it, but I do it because people want it. Rob, here's what I want to ask you though. You've got a podcast, Disruptive. Yeah, Disruptive Podcast. The Disruptive Podcast. Am I right? Disruptors. Disruptors. Mm. Okay, I thought it was disruptive. It used to be called Disruptive Entrepreneur. I think that's when you used to listen to it. Maybe, yeah, yeah. maybe. But you've got incredible, incredible big guests on there. And I aspire to be on your level where I have that many guests. So how do you, I'm, I'm this is me being selfish, selfish now. So how do you even get these guests on the door? You've had people like Chris Eubank, Floyd Mayweather. Who else have you had on there? Uh, Jordan Peterson at the rise of when he was probably his biggest, the biggest actress in Game of Thrones, Floyd Mayweather twice, obviously, Andrew Tate, round two, coming soon, at the peak, you know, because getting these guests at the right time is important. 100% agree. Are you Um, doing round two with Andrew Tate? 21 billionaires. Yeah. Yes to round two Mm. with Andrew. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. Have you filmed it already? Sorry? Have you filmed it already? That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. Okay, what about if it's not publicly? Well, then we'll talk when the cameras are off. (laughs) (laughs) All right, cool. Um, 
yeah, so I've either got them because I've got a good presence now mm-hmm. and so they come to me but i also have a team that do outreach like i i'll have no qualms about outreach like i know you've known me mm-hmm. but my guy reached out to you because if there's a good podcast i want to go on it yeah because i want to get my message out there and we should meet you know yeah. and we, we're in the same space so i'm i'm smashing out the outreach mm-hmm. um sometimes we've got a little hack where we write letters handwritten letters fucking work no one does it so um, I go to my community and I get all my community's kids to handwrite letters for me and then we send them out to to all, all the people and that gets How do you get guests. the addresses off? Well, that's a little hack that we know. Um, you can find their office address, but with with a little bit of private investigation knowledge, you yeah. can find their home addresses and, we, and we've got good at that. Um, or send it to their office address but do um, send it special, so it's got to be signed for. So you basically have a private investigator on your, your, <laughs> yeah. your podcast firm just to, you I've, know. I've got means and lawyers people. and private investigators. Yeah, I've got some resources. Yeah, because sometimes you have to hustle. And what do you think, you know, when these people are coming on, for example, the likes of Floyd Mayweather, A, what's it like to interview them? And B, what's it like... What what sort of vibe do you get from them when you're interviewing them? Because you always get a vibe from someone when you're doing a podcast with them, whether they, whether you think they like the podcast or the vibe of it and all that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, so Jake Paul I, I interviewed as well. Yeah. There's lots of people. So um, Floyd Mayweather interviews like he boxes, which is defensive. Okay, okay. <laughs> defensive. So Floyd likes you when you like Floyd. Yeah. And then when you ask a question. As in of, like when you're sucking up to him sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. When you're asking him stuff he likes. When you ask him something he doesn't like, or he goes on the defensive and he mm. clams up and he, you know, and I'm cool with that. Um, the Chris Eubank interview, which people talk about all the time, that was my most combative, defensive, awkward, weird, difficult interview. And that's the one everyone remembers. Is this junior or senior? Senior. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Senior. Um, that is like... I mean, people talk about that more than my Andrew. My Andrew Tate content was eight, eight and a half million views. So it's my highest viewed one. My Chris Eubank was half a million on YouTube. All the others, you know, you can quadruple that in yeah. terms of all, you know, audio and everything else and the other video. But but more people talk about the Chris Eubank one than the Andrew Tate. In fact, when the Eubank one went live, Andrew messaged me and he was like, holy shit, that was weird. <laughs> um, so... I, I now embrace it. It was 14 months ago. Okay. Yeah, so it was the week I, I went Andrew Tate, Katie Hopkins, Chris Eubank. Okay. One, two, three. That was a big pay month for it. Fucking big, big payday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also big um, demonetization bans yeah, and, yeah, you yeah. know, shadow bans. You know, it's just the way it goes. Um, yeah. So then, yeah. So Chris Eubank. Or was it just awkward you're saying? Awkward, combative, defensive, aggressive. So yeah, that was what I was gonna say. But the people so, the people at that level, like that level of fame, if you will. Jake Paul was like that, really defensive, really awkward. Yeah. But like a lot of people are like, oh, they're not very nice. Oh, that wasn't good. Have you got to run through the PR team to qualify what questions you can ask and all that sort of stuff? Most not- no. I, I think Will I Am we did have to. Yeah. And um, that comes out probably be out about the same time as this 
but not in a not in an, an arsy way. Mm-hmm. I would say out of the thousand episodes I've done, that's happened less than five times. Is the Will I Am one in person or yeah, in person? Six. Or yeah. did you go to America or? Um, no, he when he was in the UK, he's got a company here, so we went we went down and met him at his place. Yeah, that's sick. Yeah, good, good interview. They they were quite picky about the stuff we took out. Um, but you know, what, that's the what do you mean the stuff you took out? That's As in that there was a few bits they wanted us to take out. Oh, okay. And did you take you it know, out? Like, for example, after this, I won't ask to look at it yeah. and I want to ask you to take anything out yeah. this is yours yeah but obviously I know with, with, as I said with, with guests I've had as well they always ask to see it and then they'll tell you time stop take this out this out this out oh, okay yeah. five in a thousand have done that to mm. me yeah no Most. it's not happening it yeah. doesn't happen to me often but it's like yeah it, it does happen yeah. but what I'm saying for example when I had Charlie stuff on that had to go straight sent to the PR team yeah for them to analyse it I think people decide. who are in mainstream media they do that so yeah. I've had a lot of guests that I would have got but I haven't got because they're under contract with the BBC. Yeah. And basically, I actually um, interviewed someone fucking amazing. It, it, the, the views were, were not high on YouTube. They were good on the other channels. And it's Greg Wallace, MasterChef guy. Massive. Um, but and he doesn't do many podcasts because he can't because of the BBC. But because I've become friends with him, uh, I did that. But most people turn me down because of their BBC contract if they're on BBC. Now, obviously... So this Stephen be- Bartlett's got around that because he's on BBC. Literally just um, going to say that, yeah. So I, I wonder if he's done a deal with them, but because he's on BBC and also he's mainstream. Yeah. You know, I'm not mainstream. I like what I cover isn't mainstream. I don't want to be mainstream. Mainstream to me is death. It's vanilla. It's just not what I want to be. I feel like it goes against what you stand for yeah. and what you say when you when you go on mainstream. That's why I kind of like the on, the underdog, if you're almost like that. Yeah, the entrepreneur, yeah, the, the, re- entrepreneur. the rebel, yeah, yeah, yeah. the rebel yes. with a cause. Yeah. Well, Rob, I think we're going to end Thank the you podcast very much. here. I appreciate you Thanks coming on. Thanks for having on, me man. in your studio. And if people want to find you, where can they do so? Uh, type Rob Moore into any search engine. I mean, you'll find me on all socials. Um, you'll find me on Amazon and Audible, all my books. I mean, that's just there. Probably, though, if you want to like... That's quite a good strategy now that I think about it. You're on literally every single well, search engine go. then. If you have a podcast, have a YouTube, cut it all into TikTok, write a book, etc., then you dominate Google. So yeah. I, like on my name and on virtually every platform, you find me everywhere. So that's good. One thing though, if you want to get a bit more in depth into what I do, um, I have a, a platform called Rob.team. Um, it's like 22 pence a day. It's nothing. Yeah. Um, but it's a digital financial freedom platform to help people start and scale a business, make, manage and multiply money. And I have hundreds of hours of courses, resources, masterclasses on money and my mission, which is to help as many people on the planet get financial independence. It's just, you just type in R-O-B dot T-E-A-M. That's probably, that's the central hub. That's a go there first. I'm going to check that as well myself. All the links will be left in the description. If you want to follow me, make sure you do so once again, all in the description. And until then, guys, I'll catch you lot on the next episode of CEO Cast. Make sure you subscribe. Peace. And check out Rob's channel as well. There we are. Disruptors. <laughs> Disruptors. Disruptors.